Because I think a lot of times pitchers give hitters a lot of credit. And I'll say this as a pitcher, like hitting is probably the hardest thing in baseball. Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Hope you're doing well wherever you're listening at. On this week's episode, we have Ryan Atkinson. Ryan is a former professional pitcher in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. Before that, he pitched in independent baseball for the Evansville Otters for a very short time period. And then he went to college and pitched at the University of Cincinnati. He is currently the pitching coordinator at St. Xavier High School and owns his own gym in northern Kentucky called Performance House. In this episode, we talk about Ryan's journey throughout baseball. So he was undrafted out of University of Cincinnati and actually got a real job for 12 months working at a local hospital. He saw that there was a tryout for an independent team, and so within a five-day period, he got himself ready after not having done anything for 12 months after he graduated from college. He tried out at this tryout for this independent team. They signed him, and less than two weeks later, later, the Arizona Diamondbacks signed him, and he was now in professional baseball. So it's a it's a really cool, inspiring story. Um, we also talk a lot about just fastball command, improving as a pitcher. So one of the reasons that Ryan went undrafted out of college is 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 walks. So he had 45 walks in 71 innings as a senior in college. And his in his first professional season after he got signed, he had 60 walks in 141 innings. So you can see that's a massive improvement over just a two-year span. And he talks a lot about you know some of the things that he did to help himself improve that fastball command in this episode. So hope you enjoy this one. We'll put all of Ryan's contact information in the show notes if you want to connect with him. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it on social media. Let's continue to grow this thing and help as many players as possible. Here we go. Ryan Atkinson. This is the future. This is my time. I grind and shine. I put in the work and push the line. All right, we now welcome on to the podcast, my good buddy, Ryan Atkinson. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show today, man. Hey, thanks for having me. More than fortunate to be here. So I, I know, you know, we've been hanging out a little bit lately and, you know, we played against each other in, in college and I, I thought it would be really cool and and fun and even and inspiring just to kind of have you on the podcast. Most of the time on on my podcast, it's usually a lot of, a lot of coaches, a lot of college coaches, professional coaches. And I think uh, you're you're the perfect guy because you you have the blend of both. Like you're you're coaching, you know, pitchers mainly. You're mainly a pitching coach right now, and working with a lot of top level high school players. You have your own gym, but you're also a former player too. And so, like, I, I think maybe just starting out, my my first question to you is, uh, you know, undrafted out of college, and you know, just going through your numbers, you had some some control issues when you were in college and then I don't know something must have clicked because you went from walking like a decent amount of guys to a couple of years later just being lights out dominant so like what happened uh there's many many answers to the question um it's just you know one thing it's, it could have been easy for me to just kind of like stop and give up right and so it's frustrating walking guys if you're a pitcher of any sort, softball, baseball, whatever the case is, it's probably the one of the most frustrating things in the world. Like I remember going many times where I'm 0-2 in a count and I'm walking a guy. Mm. So I think the biggest in general terms without going in a rabbit hole is like just a lack of confidence of like putting guys away, lack of confidence of knowing you're better or you have the advantage over the hitter. Because I think a lot of times pitchers give hitters a lot of credit. And I'll say this as a pitcher, like hitting is probably the hardest thing in baseball. Because the pitcher starts with the ball. The pitcher knows what he's doing. He's in control of what he wants to do. And hitters are reacting. And, you know, if we're making it easy on them, then, yeah, they look really good. But at the end of the day, they're in a more tougher situation than we are as pitchers. We essentially just have to execute. So it, it was mainly a confidence thing for you. Like you would you would get a guy 0-2 and then you might throw a ball or two and then it was, oh, here we go again type of a scenario. 
Yeah, it's like you kind of have your your memories of like, man, I can't put guys away because I don't have my put away pitch or I don't have a put away pitch. And so I would more or less just like lack of confidence and not having that dominance on the mound. So I guess the the next question, the lead up question is going to be, how'd you get that confidence? Um, you know, what leads to confidence is just creating success um, and just kind of figuring it out. Um, figuring out what works for you and whatever that that little answer is and like running with it. Um, and it, it takes time off the off the mound too with a lot of mental practice, um, which we didn't do a lot in college. And so like you said in college, like through that time frame, it was kind of just like scrambling. And then when I got in the pro ball, um, I think it was just more or less seeing other guys do it. Because clearly at the time, I didn't have that answer to put guys away or to limit and minimize my damage. And so I was really studying and observing how other guys were doing it. And then maybe just speaking to them, like hearing how they talk about it, hearing how they act or respond to situations. It was like um, it was a mentality of like being untouchable. It was a mentality like I'm coming after you. It was a mentality like I'm the bulldog. Um I'm I'm coming at you rather than I hope he doesn't touch this pitch or I hope he gets out more or less. It was more of like a positive influence seeing how other guys would do so and take take charge. So by you just talking to those other guys like that, their confidence kind of rubbed up on you. A hundred percent. And just watching the game, like you know, growing up, you can speak to this. It's like coaches always say, pay attention to the game, pay attention to the game. But granted, we didn't really know what that meant. It was just like, yeah. okay and keep talking to my teammates right and then now it's like as we got older it's like every pitch is so important to analyze um not only like other pitchers but like even the hitters how they respond to pitches in certain situations and like that's those are all repetitions that doesn't cost you a dime or energy or effort that can be very beneficial in how you how you play the game you uh you mentioned earlier about the the mental side of the game and how you started to to utilize some different techniques in pro ball and you didn't really do it as much in college. Like what would be an example of of something you started doing to help you on the mental side? Um there's a few things I did. Um from the start of my day it was first thing out of bed was the meditation aspect. Um and granted I started in shorter time frames just because it was challenging mentally. Um, and really what happens through meditation, which a lot of people might not understand, which is okay because I didn't, was really just learning to sit with your own thoughts, sitting with your own emotions and um, really understanding yourself, gaining awareness of yourself more than trying to figure out an answer on why. Like there is no definite. It's more or less learning to be okay with what is. Um, and one quote I'll always carry with me that I learned from a strength coach of mine from the Diamondbacks, his name is Michael Acosta. Um, one thing he would always tell me, I think he learned from somebody else was, you know, life is the way it is, but only always. And so like sitting with that just kind of made me wonder, it's like life is always going to be the way it is, no matter what you do or say, because the way it is, is what it is. And I, I always pondered with that because there is no answer. And the second you try to find an answer is the second you try to become definite to something. The second you try to become attached to that answer and find reason within that answer. And so, like, for instance, if I'm on the mound, and I'm getting off a tangent here, but if I'm on the mound and say we're in a situation and it's a tight ball game, there's a run on the second, and I'm trying to reframe from that uh, runner from scoring. Say the guy I'm facing gets a hit, that runner scores. How do I respond to that situation? Because at that time, the game is, the situation is what it is. And the second I try to find reason with that is the second I become attached to that scenario. And the second I become reactionary to that rather than just saying, okay, moving on, and getting back to what my true focus is, and that's just being better at the next pitch. Mm. And so bouncing back, what I practiced from a mental standpoint was like meditation in the morning, um, really fit with my thoughts. And towards the back end of my meditation, um, I would always try to do some sort of visionary practice, like practicing 
me in a situation since we're talking about baseball, practice practicing seeing myself playing in the big leagues, practice myself seeing success in the big leagues, practice seeing myself facing a Hall of Fame hitter, you know, really taking the threshold to the top, to the best of the best. And then I truly believe when you when you practice towards, you know, seeing yourself beyond measure, anything underneath that is going to come more acceptable. It's going to come more um, expected, if you will, in a way that you're meant to be there. Not caught by surprise, like, wow, I didn't know I was this good. It's like, you've always been that good. You just didn't know it yet. And I think that's a, that's a big challenge and a hard challenge for the benefit that a lot of people ha will have a hard time seeing just because it's unknown, because they haven't broke through the barriers of that success, that threshold of talent, that threshold of confidence, you know. And so, yeah, the meditation, the visionary practice, um, start days, I would do journaling beforehand of goals such as first pitch strikes um i would put no walks i would put win the ball game last five plus innings you know all those smaller details whether i did it or not that was my focus and say i go four innings or i didn't win the ball game it was okay let's not react to it and get mad at ourselves let's learn and understand what we could have done different just like studying yourself allowing you to be a little bit more aware of what you're doing and continuing to practice towards that each day. That was all really good stuff right there. I got a bunch of questions for you. My, my first question that I have is how many other pitchers are doing what you just described you were doing? Like how many in like in the big leagues, professional baseball, like high level pitchers, like how many other guys are doing that? Would you say? Like currently? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, obviously, you know a lot of guys and play with a lot of guys end up going to the big leagues. I mean, how many were, were doing that kind of stuff or are doing that today? Yeah, I think uh, meditation and breathing is becoming more of a more of a practice. A lot of teams are um, that, that I know of that are getting, you know, I don't know what some teams call, label them differently, but like a breath coach um, could, could get some sort of, meditation coach or um, a psychologist, a sports psychologist, things like that. Um, and I think everybody kind of creates their own avenue of what they think might be best for their organization. Um, but I think players are tapping into it more individually than organizations as a whole, if that makes sense. Yeah. And to add on to that, I think that's probably the greatest tool you can have is the meditation is the breathing practice because what that does is one, you don't get tired from it. And that's something you can exercise every single day and create benefit, not have to rest and recovery and take a day off. How long, how long was it before you started seeing results from that? And I don't say results necessarily like, you know, you were playing better, putting up better statistics, but you could just, you were in certain, you were in different situations that maybe you were in in the past and you weren't reacting the same way. Like it was there, was it a month? Was it weeks? Like six months? How long of a time period was it? Cause I think that's where a lot of people maybe misunderstand is they, they want that, that instant gratification right away. And uh, to me that this is kind of something that's more like a life, like a lifelong skill, if anything. Right, right. And it is something you can take with you forever. Like today, I still practice. Um, but I, I saw probably results within weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and it became more of a, it developed me into a greater self over time and months. So being on the mound, being more dialed in, being more focused on what I'm doing, um, which then leads to confidence. And when you develop that confidence, because you, you understand yourself more, you understand what you're trying to accomplish. And so, therefore, that confidence builds into results. The results builds into consistency. Consistency leads you into higher levels, um, development, promotions, things like that, which allows you for a greater success, I think, over time. Was there anything different from a mechanical standpoint that you changed from college to, to pro ball? Because, I mean, within a two-year period, I mean, you went from, you know, having an okay, finishing up, you know, having an okay senior season, and then just – Two years later, I mean, you threw 100, 141 innings, 167 strikeouts um, in your first full season of professional baseball. I mean, those are 
that's like video game numbers. So what what was like that? Was there any difference from a mechanical or is it just all the mental side? Uh, obviously mental played a part, um, but my mechanics in college compared to pro ball were a complete 360. Um, in college, I was, uh, I didn't move well. Um, I didn't move efficiently, if you will. I didn't really move connected. Um, I was a strong guy, but like joint mobilization, I was stiff, um, arm was slow and long. So there's where like the velocity came into play and like jumped up in pro ball compared to college. Um, mechanically, it was just really fine tuning. Not that I made like a huge dramatic change. It was just fine tuning how I moved, which then comes back into the practice of mobility on a day-to-day practice. And I look at mobility practice, just like the breathing practice. It's like, you can always work on something each and every day and you create the own your own intensity behind it, whether whether or not you're going to be sore from it or you want to do it more to feel good to kind of prime yourself up for the day. And so I would use it as like a, a warm up or a pre pitch day, pre mound day, or I would use it at the end of the day to kind of restructure, reconnect uh, my body from my feet to my hands or my, you know, my hips, to my shoulders um, is really keeping the body connected in creating that muscle memory. So then it translates on the mound, which leads to me not really having to structurally change my leg kick or structuring, you know, shoulder tilt, gloves, whatever people want to talk about. It was simply just moving better. And I think that cleans up the look of your mechanics. Um, And then the biggest thing on top of that, I will add was enhancing my arm pattern. Um, my arm path through the window of the shoulder and you know, whatnot. Um, I just got a quicker arm and the arm speed, what led me into velocity spike um, increase. And then that led me into more efficient hand position, which allowed me to have more depth on my pitches, greater movement, um, better spin efficiency, which then created more success in the plate because I was more consistent and more dominant. How were you able to find all that out? Was that just through once you got into pro ball, doing a lot of testing from a tech, technological standpoint, analytics? Like, how'd you, how'd you not know that in college and then know that within a two-year frame, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, to be honest, um, I think we spoke on this a little bit. Like, I'm not against biomechanic measurements, data analytics. I'm not against that, but it works for some people from a mental standpoint and it doesn't for the others. Um, I'm a big feel guy. So how I feel while, um, not really measuring anything, the numbers, even though it's like hard data. So it makes sense. But again, going back to what I spoke to earlier was just like analyzing other players, watching other players and observing like, why are they? Cause I was a guy who worked hard. And I think you could probably ask almost every teammate of mine through my whole career. And I'm not here to fluff that, but I was probably the hardest worker or one of the top hardest workers on every team I've been at. And so every team I've been on, it's just, I just worked hard. And, but there was guys that threw harder. There was guys that had nastier pitches, guys that had better numbers. So I'm like, all right, if I am like outworking them with effort from a physical standpoint, why am I not producing better than they are? And so like, being around guys in pro ball and I'm speaking to pro ball mostly is where I learned this is like, I'm watching guys who are throwing 95, 96, 97, 98. Um, and I'm just like sitting down at 90 to 92 touching 93. And I'm just like, man, like I just don't understand. And so it was just studying and studying. And next thing you know, it just hit me. And I think you don't get to that point unless you're really putting in the reps and time watching and analyzing to understand because you can only do so many things without understanding, but the second you understand, it opens up more windows and avenues for you to create. And so I was just watch guys, and the arm speed thing is what hit me. And I um, I worked on that in the fall league in 2017, and that the fall league was when my velo jumped up, and it was you know like I said, it was 90 to 93, and then next thing you know, I'm 94 to 96, 95, 97, and I'm just like it was just the flip of the switch and I didn't have to do much. You know, it was just very, very rewarding 
to know and feel that I was capable of doing that. Why did you why did you stop playing so early? Yeah, um, interesting question. So not by choice exactly. Um, so obviously COVID happened. Um, that was March of 20 when we uh, got sent home for spring training. And um, two months later in May, just kind of speed things up, um, they called and released me. Um, you know, I was hoping that the minor league season was going to come back. And that year, nothing really nothing really happened for the minor leagues. Essentially shut down and then created another taxi squad roster, if you will, for the big leagues. So they had created a 60-man roster. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't a part of that. Um, I think every organization had their own reasons, um, which is understandable. You know, they got guys they invested money in, guys they uh, prioritized as a prospect that you know, a certain younger age. Um, not that age plays a big part, but they just had they just had other investments and in other guys that, you know, they wanted to see develop. Um, and I feel like personally, in my opinion, I feel like that was kind of like the route a lot of teams were probably taking so they could get their reps in, keep them in shape and on their um, their process point of development, if that makes sense. Um, in 2020, that was. And so I was training um, that summer into the fall, going into the winter of 2021 and, you know, I got myself ready by March, um, mid season form, more or less, you know, the velo was good. Um, all speed stuff was working well. And so I, you know, I was ready for a spring training, um, talking to a few teams and nothing ever fell through. And so at that point in time, I just recently started the business and it was, it was pretty stressful because, you know, you start a business, you're, you know, trying to develop and grow that and learn and understand how to how to operate a business. And that's that's a whole nother world and definitely um, not easy by any means. And so the lifestyle was pretty challenging to do both. And I just just kind of went with the reins of where I was in life and put baseball aside for a little bit as far as the training. And then um, I was kind of stubborn on what I wanted if I were to get a contract because I had a bunch of indie ball teams contact me and I, you know, based on my resume, I was a yes to double A or triple A, um, but wasn't really agreeing to go back to indie ball, even though that was probably the route I was going to have to take just to get some innings under my belt again. And so that was more of a probably stubborn approach. Um, and so that's kind of just kind of trickled out and just kept going on with business and that was kind of the end of it naturally. So I never really said I retired still to this day. It's, um, am I capable? Yes. Uh, I could probably get up and do that within a month, but, um, yeah, that was kind of just how it happened. Life just happened and I kind of went with it. Do you, uh, regret not, not going for it again? Uh, I wouldn't say I regret it. Um, if today I said I was retiring, I would be very, um, Let's see. I would be very happy and appreciative for what I've done in the game of baseball and the time that I had, um, the people I've met and the opportunities I had. Because at the end of the day, that's all you can ask for is an opportunity. And I couldn't be ashamed for any of that because just because of my story, um, undrafted, um, basically had to work my way, pitch by for every inning I had, just had to earn. So I can't really say I regret, but if, if, if I was a guy who got drafted and had a signing bonus and did all that, um, I'd probably think a little differently, but um, more or less, I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be in the shoes I were, I was in during that time of my life in pro ball. And so I can't really say I would regret any of that. What was it you you graduated from from uh, University of Cincinnati undrafted and then you stopped playing you got a regular job for like twelve months and then just went to a tryout got signed from indie ball and then you were signed by the Diamondbacks like a couple weeks later isn't is that right Yeah yeah so I'll kind of give you the the quick rundown on that so yeah graduated college in fifteen um, and then you know, three months, spent basically the summer going into the fall, not working or anything. Um, and started at a local gym doing personal training. Um, and then at the beginning of 2016, I got a job at a local hospital, um, a little bit more 
towards my degree, but nothing too specific and did that. So I did personal training on top of the salary job. And that was from January of 16 till June of 16. I came home one night after a shift, emailed the Frontier League on a Tuesday night. Um, Wednesday morning, I get an email. Hey, we have a tryout Monday. Um, so within five days, I had to be prepared. And I didn't, I haven't picked up a ball since my last conference game of college in 2015. So we're looking at about 13 months. And so I go to that tryout. Uh, do well, obviously, face four batters, four strikeouts. Um, that's where the Diamondback scout originally saw me. And then one of the independent baseball teams signed me, which was the Evansville Otters. They signed me that night. I go into the hospital the next day, tell the director, like, hey, I got this situation. She didn't even think twice. She said, go and do it. I had an opportunity to play pro baseball again or to play pro baseball um, she said, go and do it. Don't worry about anything. Just go. And I was like, wow. Okay. And so I met the team on Thursday, um, two appearances out of the bullpen. Then eight days later, the Diamondbacks bought my contract, um, signed July 2nd of 16, go to Missoula, Montana. Um, long story short, finished the year with the Diamondbacks in rookie ball. I go to instructs at the time, which I don't know if they still do that or not. Um, do you know if they do that? Uh, I think it's just different by each organization. And, and I think sometimes they call it something different. Like it's, so it's, it's, it's a little, it's just based upon each organization. Like a little camp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so went to instruction 16 and I was like, so do everything. So I was, I don't, I was like, so am I going back to spring training? Like I had no idea how it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Both like a true rookie. And so go to spring training in 17, um, get lucky breaking camp because one of the fifth starters in low A had a blister. And so he was held back. This was two days before spring training was up. Uh, they tell me I'm the fifth starter in low A. So I go to low A to start the year. Um, things start kicking off and I just ran with it and go from low A, got promoted to high A. Um, they sent me back to low A, not from a performance standpoint, from a business standpoint, if you understand it's, you know, you know, prospects time to move up, if you will. And so went back to low A, then two weeks later went to double A, then finished out the year in double A with eight starts, and then was invited to the fall league. And this was that first full year you were talking about earlier. Um, go to the fall league in 17, and then big league spring training in 18, all double A in 18, big league spring training in 19, then double A, then promoted to triple A in 19, and then 2020 spring training and COVID happens. And that was kind of the, the gist of that. Man. And, uh, Fun ride though, dude. I mean, a great story. Like, I mean, I mean, isn't that crazy? Like you for undrafted, I mean, having like a, a really good professional career within a, a few years. I mean, I think it's, it's really cool. And it speaks to kind of perfectly to what we're you know doing a lot now. I know you're coaching baseball now and, and, working with a lot of pitchers and coaching at, you know, St. Xavier high school, which is in Cincinnati, Ohio. And so I'm, I'm sure a lot of the lessons learned that you had and a lot of the experience you had throughout this entire time, you're able to now pass along to, um, you know, these, these high school pitchers. So um, what's that been like uh, now that you're back, you're back coaching, I shouldn't say back, but you've now started coaching um, for the last couple of years. Like what, what has surprised you maybe from a, a coaching standpoint? Like, is it a lot harder than you thought? Is it about the same? Like, what are your thoughts on it? Um, I truly like from a coach's eye um, and everybody has, you know, their own approach on this, uh, but really just having patience uh, because putting yourself in the shoes back in when I was in high school, I was nowhere near, what some of these kids are now as far as talent level and as far as understanding of the game. And so I, when I see that, I just like, I'm just like, wow, like very appreciative for where they are. Um, because when I know that about them, I know their, their feeling is much higher than what mine was and not to relate everything to me, but to understand the potential that they have in front of them. Granted the, the curve is, the curve of development at a younger age is growing, 
Um, guys are getting better earlier and getting more efficient with their their playing skill um, at a younger age. But it's just really being appreciative of where they are and what's yet to come that they haven't even tapped into is just really cool to know. Um, and so just really learn to be patient with the development aspect of that because one thing, you just can't rush. You can't rush what what yet they can't do, you know? And so it's really just finding cues for them to understand how to get there and continue just to practice and nip at it and talk about it and express to help understand what's working, what's not working, how can we adjust. Um, and the more you can do that and just talk about it, I think the more things will click rather than forcing forcing a kid or a, a player's mechanics to move a certain way or to look a certain way is just not not sustainable because everybody's mechanics are different but it's can you master can you perfect and fine-tune how you move and what you do so it's not really changing a whole lot but it's more or less changing the approach the adaptability and just getting smarter with the game from a mental standpoint and you know really understanding that aspect to help develop the higher level What's something that maybe uh, that you're doing now with your pitchers that, you know, you you think is going to play big dividends for them down the road? Like, I know you mentioned before, you're not necessarily in, not you're not into the biomechanics, but you're more so like feel like are you now getting into some of that stuff in, in case that you have a pitcher who's more has more of an analytical type of mind and maybe they connect better with understanding the, the biomechanical information? Uh, yeah, so I think it's definitely important to understand how that stuff works, um, understanding how to read the graphs, understanding, you know, what what numbers are good, what numbers are not so good, um, and how they can impact um, that certain player. Um, but really, I think a computer can't pitch for you, you know. A computer can't tell you how to throw a pitch. And so if you become so reliant on those numbers um, or what those – what those data sheets are telling you, then you're really losing the concept of like who you are on the mound. Because at the end of the day, you step on that mound, you have to be able to do that yourself. And so I think it's a great tool to have, but there also needs to be a balance of understanding. So you can really understand yourself and just have that awareness because when you're on the mound, pitch by pitch, like you got to make adjustments. And the second I was told this in the fall league, actually, it's like what a lot of, GMs and managers and organizations like to see is like how quickly can you make an adjustment on the mound? And so if I'm, you know, I'm spiking a fastball, it's like, well, one, I shouldn't be doing that at the pro level, but two, how can I get it back in the zone? You know, like guys in the big leagues, and this is like there should be no other mindset to any players, like put yourself in a big league situation. College, like everybody wants to get to college, but at the end of the day, everybody's goal dream is to pitch in the big leagues or play in the big leagues. So why not even why not even put your mentality starting there? And so, yes, you need to learn fundamentals, have a foundation. But at the end of the day, you got to be able to make the adjustments on the field. And if you're not capable of doing that um, in a timely manner, then your learning curve is slowing down. Um, and there's other guys that are passing you up because there's guys that will make adjustments pitch by pitch rather than at bat per at bat, you know, that's three innings in between before you make an adjustment, you know? And so I think, I think getting back to the coaching aspect is my goal is to help the players understand who they are as players, helping them understand their strengths, helping them understand what's going to work for them and how can they grow and develop the other side of things such as their weaknesses and where they can improve. Yes, we use the measuring tools to understand that, but as a reliancy, I'm not the biggest fan of that aspect. I just think it's a great tool to have to get measurements and readings so you can kind of check and balance your work. Yeah, and I I think if you – and the other thing is if you can't locate the fastball, if you can't locate, you know, a breaking ball and you're walking so many guys, and I've seen this now a lot, especially with guys at the at the college level – none of that really matters, right? I mean, nobody here, I mean, you look at the college world series, they're not pitching, putting guys out on that mound who, who are walking the house. And those are guys who are throwing mid to high nineties sometimes. So uh, I definitely agree with everything that you're saying right there. 
from a, a practice design standpoint for pitchers, is there anything that you like specifically like doing or structuring the practice in order to emphasize some of the things that you're talking about? Um, let's see. I you talking about like with coaching the players at high school or just like yeah, yeah. Okay, so at the high school level, it's like kind of gotta. I don't want to say dumb down, but you gotta first understand like where they are as a player, where they are in their learning curve, and then. My my approach is every every day is important regardless if you're on the mound or not, um, and so having routine is a big big deal. Um, and stretch, you know, stretch and stretch. But I think every player needs to have their own individual routine because every player is individualized. And I think the second you have a routine shows that you actually understand what you need to do. You understand what work you need to put in to get better. And being able to show up and do that consistently on a day-to-day basis is a big deal, I believe. And leading into like daily catch and preparing your arm to play catch. Playing catch is one of the biggest times for you to learn. That's where I learned how to enhance my arm speed. It wasn't plyo balls. It wasn't towel drills. Like those things help. But at the end of the day, you're not pitching with a towel. You're not pitching with a plyo ball. So it's really utilizing again just like the data it's like utilizing those tools to help your arm feel good to help your arm move cleaner if that makes sense then can you go and repeat that with a baseball and so i think having that focus when playing catch um whatever the art is that they're working on can you can you practice that while playing catch and a lot of guys as you know in high school even it's like play catch it's like it's just uh, have fun, joke around, just toss a ball around here and there, and then call it a day. And I just think I just think it's important to really put the focus and effort into playing catch um, and putting into um, priority of what you're working on that day, whether it's the feel of your curveball playing short catch, the feel of your changeup, you know, at 90 feet or 150 feet, or can you hit a guy in the chest at 150 feet with your fastball? Can you – flip a guy a curveball to his chest at 60 feet. And so I'll speak on this since the name is just continue to grow with Zach Gallon. Um, Zach Gallon was um, just recently traded to the Diamondbacks when I was in big league spring training. Um, and I just, even before he came to the Diamondbacks, I admired his work and his, his skill. Um, and then when he came over in spring training, I was like, Oh, this is awesome. I love like, you know, I'm in the same locker room as him, and I'm like, I'm trying to watch every second of this guy. Granted, you know, I'm I'm three, four years older than he is, and here I'm trying to learn from a 22, 23-year-old. Like, that just goes to show, like, it doesn't matter who and where you are from and what you are at your age, but, like, there's always something to be gained from somebody. And so when I was watching him play catch on one of his start days of spring training, he always worked on his grips. Um in very short, close distance. And he would just repeat and repeat and repeat efficient delivery, efficient spin on his ball, hitting a guy in his chest consistently with every pitch. And we're talking 30 to 60 feet short catch. And I never got to talk to him about it. Um, I was I'm just a, kind of a shy guy at times. And I kind of observe and kind of, you know, know my place in the room, if you will, but I was always observing. And I took that upon myself to, to kind of reason with it. It's like, this makes sense. Like, if you can command your pitches and have feel for your pitches at, you know, 30 feet, 20 feet to 50 feet to 60 feet, if you can repeat the feel, then it shouldn't matter what distance you're at, right? Like, if I'm trying to repeat my curveball and hit a guy in the chest at 20 feet, why can't I repeat it at 60 feet? You know, and that was what I believed in. A lot of people might think that differently. It's like, hey, you should be able to, if you can hit a guy in his chest at 120 feet, then you should be able to do it at 60 feet because it's further distance. But I look at it as like, that's a stress, stress, stressful practice, you know, and now you have to apply effort to get the ball at 150. And so a lot in practice or a lot in pitching, at least and playing overall, it's like I look at things of how effortless can I be and repeat what I'm doing. 
Because the second you apply effort, the second you tense up, the second you um, impact how your body moves. And so how can I de-stress? How can I relax my body to repeat efficiently and move efficiently as best as I can? And so that's why I believe the 30 feet, the 20 foot practice of throwing your pitches and finding your feel at 20 feet, you should be able to repeat that same feel at 60 feet with a lot less effort than if you were to practice it from 150 to 60 feet, if that makes sense. What what's the time frame at those shorter distances? Like let's say when you're working with your high school pitchers, what would be the the amount of time slotted for them to to warm up and toss? Um, just the duration of playing catch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it just depends on what what your day is. Um, if if it's a light catch day, then let's you know spend little time finding your field, just moving your arm because it might have been a day after a bullpen or day after game or whatnot, because the recovery aspect is what's most important at that point. Um, but if you're, you know, ramping up to get onto the mound, it's like you got to understand your body, have awareness of your body that day in order for you, for you to be intense on the mound. But if you're trying to be intense right away without knowing what your body feels like, without knowing release point, and I'm not talking like seeing release points, physically knowing release point is just, again, coming back to feel like, you have to feel and repeat release point each and every pitch. And so that's why progressively enhance the effort over time, but keep it as light as you can and challenge yourself to be as light as you can. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then you know, I question the time frame, like I said, depends on the day, but up close and up close and personal playing catch from a short distance. I just think it's, I think it's all feel like once you feel good, you know, back yeah but if you, you don't yeah yeah that's a good point i think uh it doesn't necessarily have to be in an enormous amount of time obviously you're coaching high school baseball and you don't have unlimited time and so um i think that's a, a i'm glad you brought that up where it's hey you don't have to do it for necessarily uh you know a long time it's once you feel it and once you're feeling good and you know i think the main thing is just focus like are you just going through the motions or are you focusing in on on every single throw and if you focus in and hone in on every throw you don't need to throw as many 100 percent. and you can just by what without having a conversation you can tell the, the mindset of a player based on just how they're act, how they're taking action. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're, they're spending a lot of time playing catch at 90 feet um, and then going out and coming back in, whatever the case is, if they're spending a lot of time with little focus, you're going to pick up on that. But if a guy is like five throws at 30, five throws at 60, 10 throws at this and that, like having a structure, you're going to pick up on that too because that's routine. He has a purpose with what he's doing. And I, you can see that without having a conversation. And I think just as a young athlete, you, you don't really know that your coaches know that, you know, you just, cause you used to experience it or you've been around it long enough to know, okay, they're not locked in. Okay. They're working on something where they're not. I, I said this on, I, I don't know what episode it was. And it was a couple of weeks ago, but uh, previously I had Doug Lauman on the podcast. I need to actually bring him back on and see if he wants to come back on again. He, he's he been a scout for over 40 years. Um, you should actually meet him sometime. He lives in Northern Kentucky, and he's a former scouting director for the Chicago White Sox. And so a ton of experience. His son is now a scout, I believe, in the Mariners, Mariners organization. And um, he said on the podcast, he goes, I'll be honest, I was either in or out on a player. I mean, we're talking, you know, again, scouting director. So he's looking at the top very first round pick, second, and all the all the top guys. So I was either in or out on a player after warm-up. He said very rarely would my opinion change during the game. Like, you know, maybe after a couple of bats or even on the mound. He said, usually I was in or out on the guy after they warmed up. And, you know, I would stay for the game and, and watch that, of course, but my gut reaction would always tell me yes or no after they warmed up. And so I thought that was really interesting. And um, it, it a little bit kind of what you're talking about right now, too, where, you know, even as a player, I mean, looking back, I mean, I'm like, geez, I, I didn't even that never even crossed my mind that someone could be a watching me and be, you know, what am I actually trying to accomplish when I'm warming up, like how, you know what I mean? And you, you said it was structure and things like that, how important that is, but um, that just really resonated with me. And so when you said that kind of 
I, I started thinking about that again. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, and definitely as a young player growing up, like I would never put a thought that I was getting crossed off or getting a check mark to my name based on how I warmed up. Like, I mean, I did have a band routine warming up before I pitched or played catch, but like a lot of guys don't. And a lot of guys don't understand that. And I just, it's a simple, it's a simple telltale based on how a guy takes care of himself. If you can't take care of yourself with the necessary detail of small things, then why would you ever take care of the necessary things that are going to be much more impactful to the team? You know, and that's why I think it comes back to like in the game of baseball, I think having that individualized routine and practice, quote unquote, being a little selfish, I think that's totally okay. Because at the end of the day, it's like when you're on the field, you are, your teammates are relying on you to take care of your job. In the, in the time frame of you not taking care of yourself off the field, then why would you be able to do that on the field, you know? And I just think that's a simple telltale. And it's like, you don't even need to have a conversation. Great point. What are, what's your vision for yourself for the future? Like what, what do you, what do you want to do? I know you got your own, your own business right now. And at the end, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that. And you're, you're working with pitchers, coaching high school baseball, have a lot of experience yourself as a player. Um, clearly you have a lot of uh, self-awareness. You understand, you know, what made you, you, and, and now you're trying to help other players, pitchers with that. Like, what do you, what's your vision? Do you have a vision? I know you talked about visualization earlier. Like, what are you visualizing now? Um, that's a big question. Um, it's, I wouldn't say I have the big vision in order yet. Um, you know, it's been a, a challenging transition from playing and then getting into the business aspect, the coaching aspect. Um, it's a, it's a lot of change and, you know, you always hear about athletes in general, like struggling, getting from the field to off the field and having a career, having a life in general, not saying that I'm struggling, but it's just having a, such a clear path as you did of having a dream of playing big league professional baseball in the big leagues. It's like, that's something you've had for 20 plus years, 25, 26, 27 years. And then all of a sudden, like within a year, it's like switching over and having that, 20-year vision is, like, not the easiest thing. Um, interest level, uh, different story. Definitely love the aspect of the human performance development. Um, here at my my gym, Performance House, um, that's, that's the ultimate goal um, with the business is really, for myself, learning science, um, doing the research, putting in the time and effort, as time evolves of how the human body can perform, how well can you challenge the body to grow and develop into whatever you desire. If you're um, a marathon runner, other athletes, of course, um, and just really tapping into bettering oneself and putting that in front of others, um, whether they are athletes or not, but working with individuals who desire that. And I think, just from the business aspect, like it's so uh, fulfilling to really see others succeed outside of like my own success that I've had and like that I desire to move forward. Um, it's really putting others first and like helping others in human development, human performance, whether it is, like I said, in a, in a sport or some sort of physical activity they desire. Um, aside from that, definitely want to work with athletes and their their sport performance and development over time, whether it's high school, college, or even at the professional level. Um, obviously, they're performance coaches all over the country and including the world. Um, so, I mean, it's really just getting around the right people to put yourself in front of that, that crowd to work with high-level individuals such as. And I think I will over time. I'm definitely confident I will. It's just a matter of time. Uh, but really spending the time on the human development, human performance approach and the research behind that and the science around that. Um, and then from the coaching side, um, depends what opportunities in front of me. Um, I firmly believe I could coach at a high level, um, college or professionally. Um, I don't know what that road looks like, how to get there. 
Um, that's probably just conversations I have with somebody. Um, but I, as far as like committing to that this second, I can't say that I am or am not. Um, it's just kind of taking one step at a time day to day. Um, just really letting those pieces kind of fall together um, when the time is right. Like I said before, it's like you can't force good. Um, it's just the practice of it and the process of it that's going to allow that to naturally flourish over time. And I'm just trying to appreciate the day-to-day operation of that. Good stuff, brother. What What's a way someone can get in touch with you? What What's the best way someone could contact you? Yeah, so obviously outside of my personal phone, um, email. <laughs> we won't put that on the internet. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to do that. Um, email, um, social media handles. I'm very act- more active on Instagram than anything. Um, Twitter, I get on, but as you told me, I need to be more active on there, so I might take your word on that. Um, the Instagram handle is Ryan underscore Atkinson 14. And then my Twitter handle, I don't even know. I'd have to look that up. <laughs> so Instagram, we'll we'll put uh we'll put the social media handles in the show notes. But uh yeah. it was good having you on, brother. Um uh, again, man, glad you're doing well now and awesome story, awesome career, and appreciate appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate um our friendship and where it's headed. Um, but yeah, thanks for taking the time. And I think you're doing great things with your podcast and bringing on a lot of great people. So thank you. Appreciate it.